0: President Trump addresses the coronavirus epidemic from the Oval Office. We will examine how we're all gonna die. Then Bernie refuses to drop out of the race. A mathematically challenged New York Times editorial board member cries racism when people correct her. And AOC says it's racist not to eat lo mein. All that plus the mailbag. I'm Michael Knowles and this is the Michael Knowles Show. Big speech last night from the Oval Office. President Trump addressed the nation on the coronavirus Wuhan epidemic and what the United States is going to do. It was mostly a normal address. There were some serious measures that were, uh, that were brought up last night. And of course, typically the left is furious. Uh, Before we get into it, question you got to ask yourself, what could Trump have done that the left would have approved of? Okay. What actually is possible that they would have said, okay, good job. He's doing great. Uh, probably not very much. So we'll get into the meat of it in just a second. First, got to thank our friends over at Movement. You know how much I love Movement. It is now, I think my favorite underdog story in the whole world. These guys, these two young entrepreneurs were actually college dropouts. Then they start this terrific, you know, company, but they're living on a tight budget. You know, they're, they, they're living on it. They wanted to uh, give a product for their customers who were living on it. So they made these really, really high quality watches that did not break the bank. If you went into a store, tried to buy a movement watch, a similar quality, you'd be paying like three, four, maybe 500 bucks. Uh, what they were able to do is get the price right down going straight to you. They've now sold almost 2 million watches in over 160 countries by bringing quality designs at fair prices. I get so many compliments on my movement watch and I've had watches since I was eight years old, but I get them all the time. Now they make sunglasses, other accessories, perfect gifts for friends, family, or your significant other. You're gonna love it. It's not, not one of these annoying watches that interrupts your life with all these gizmos and you know, alarms going off. Get 15% off today great styling. You get free shipping, free returns. Go to MVMT.com slash Knowles. Movement's launching new styles on their site all the time. Check it out at movement, MVMT.com, MVMT.com slash Knowles and join the movement. So President Trump opens up his speech perfectly as you would expect. He says there is this pandemic and we're going to take it very seriously.
1: Tonight, I want to speak with you about our nation's unprecedented response to the coronavirus outbreak that started in China and is now spreading throughout the world. Today, the World Health Organization officially announced that this is a global pandemic.
0: Okay, now I bet you could not figure out a way to turn that into a terrible, awful, bigoted speech, right? It's just, what did he say? It was the most basic that we got, there's this virus. All right, it started in China, but now it's all over the world, and we're taking it seriously, and the World Health Organization calls it a pandemic. How could you possibly pick that apart? Well, Jim Acosta on CNN certainly can. Uh, immediately, before we get to the rest of the speech, Jim Acosta goes on CNN and says, you know, the opening of that speech sure was racist.
1: one point during this address, uh, the president referred to the coronavirus as a, quote, foreign virus. Uh, that that I think was interesting because as I was talking to sources earlier this evening one of the points that the president wanted to make tonight wanted to get across to Americans is that this virus did not start here uh, but that they're dealing with it now why the president would uh, go as far as to describe it as a foreign virus that is something we'll also be asking mm-hmm. questions about but it it should be pointed out that Stephen Miller. Uh, who is a, an immigration hardliner, who advises the president, is uh, one of his top domestic policy advisors and speech writers, right. uh, had, was a driving force in writing this speech. And I right. think it's going to smack, uh, it's going to come across to a lot of Americans as spacking of uh, xenophobia, uh, right. to use that kind of term in this speech, Chris.
0: Xenophobia to mention where the virus is from, to mention what the name of the virus is. Th- <laughs> I, can't, I, can't, I don't know if they can hear themselves. It's the, it's the Wuhan virus, President, why, why would President Trump make a point of saying it's a foreign virus? Because it is, because it's true. You can't, you know, the whole point of racism, right, if you say that's racist, that's bigoted, that's, what is implied there is that it's not true, <laughs> right, that it's, it's unjust, that it's wrong. If you're just making a geographic fact, if you're just stating the obvious, that can't be bigoted or xenophobic or racist or whatever. It's just a fact. And and moreover, it's not just Donald Trump who's doing it. Jim Acosta made the same point back in at the end of January, January 23rd. So not that, what, a month and a half ago? He tweets out, CNN International authorities in Beijing have canceled all large-scale Chinese New Year celebrations in an effort to contain the growing spread of Wuhan coronavirus. <laughs> Was it xenophobic when Jim Acosta said exactly the same thing? Uh, probably not, but it's just, it, gets, it sets the tone for the night because no matter what President Trump had said, the CNN people would have come on immediately and said, racist, bigot, terrible, awful, the worst guy in the world. So the, the big news from the speech is that President Trump is suspending all travel from Europe for 30 days. This makes a lot of sense. Europe is getting smacked by this virus. And in particular, Italy is is getting smacked. Hundreds of deaths. They've quarantined not just their economic powerhouse in Milan and the Northern region. They've now quarantined the entire country. So why does, why does Trump have to cut off travel from all of Europe rather than just Italy? This actually gets into a nationalism question. This actually gets into much of what we've been talking about with regard to globalization for the last three years, which is Europe doesn't really have hard borders anymore, right? Europe The EU is this kind of federal entity where people get to go freely from one country into the next one. And so if you've got this total outbreak, you know, they haven't contained it at all in Italy, then it's going to be hard to contain it within the rest of Europe. Interesting about this travel ban, the United Kingdom is exempt. So if you're in the UK right now, you can travel to the United States still. I guess this makes sense, right? As of a month and a half ago, the UK is not part of Europe. I sat down on the verdict podcast that I host with Senator Cruz. We sat down with Nigel Farage. Nigel was so happy, he talked about all the benefits to it, and had the media are constantly railing against Brexit. Well, here's one of the benefits of Brexit, right? You you can now travel to the United States because you're not part of Europe. A good lesson on nationalism. You know, that this whole This whole pandemic teaches us a little something about nationalism. We were told by the globalization side for decades that there's no downside to globalization, right? There's no downside to open borders. Let anybody come in or leave whenever it's fine, no big deal. There's no downside to outsourcing all of your manufacturing to China. No, you just get cheaper goods. Everybody gets more money. It's more money in your pocket. Even if you lose your job, you know, you'll still be paying less for cheap Chinese goods. So what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is that if China is the epicenter of a pandemic, then it might be a little difficult to get your goods out of China, right? If Italy had tightened its borders sooner, Italy might not be having this problem. You know, we are now tightening our borders under duress. So funny, you know, the, the left has been railing on Trump for trying to tighten border security for the last three years. Well, now we're tightening it, right? Now you, we're not letting travelers in from China. We're not letting travelers in from Europe. So we all agree we got to tighten the border. It's just maybe we should have tightened it a little bit sooner. Maybe the pandemic wouldn't be quite so bad. I also can't wait until the left somehow twists Trump banning travel from Europe to uh, be racism. You know, because that's what they're always saying, saying. He only wants to keep people out who look different from us, you know, who who are from Africa or the Middle East, like, well, what about Europe? Why are you gonna do that? He's gonna say he's racist against the Italians or something. Other than that, it was a totally normal Oval Office speech given the circumstances. Uh, you, You get the gist of it, you know, rah, rah, we're America, we'll rally together. Fear not. You've got nothing to fear but fear itself.
1: The virus will not have a chance against us. No nation is more prepared or more resilient than the United States. We have the best economy the most advanced healthcare, and the most talented doctors, scientists, and researchers anywhere in the world. We are all in this together. We must put politics aside, stop the partisanship, and unify together as one nation and one family. As history has proven time and time again, Americans always rise to the challenge and overcome adversity. Our future remains brighter than anyone can imagine acting with compassion and love we will heal the sick care for those in need help our fellow citizens and emerge from this challenge stronger and more unified than ever before god bless you and god bless america thank you
0: great totally fine speech right exactly what you would expect not just of trump but really of any president we're going to be fine we're going to come together we're taking all the steps necessary you'll be safe. Calm down. Please don't crash the markets, (laughs) right? That's pretty much all he had to do in that speech. And, and he did it. CNN's Don Lemon, furious, apoplectic. And it was so funny because they brought on a Republican, quote unquote, they brought on John Kasich to talk about it. This is one of Trump's primary opponents. He's a liberal Republican. So I think they figured he was just gonna trash Trump and he, he would bounce off their, their criticism of the president. Actually, John Kasich didn't do that, and Don Lemon got even more angry.
1: I want you to go on and deflect and talk about something else, because we're here to talk about the president's address, and And you said that someone else wrote it. He's the president. Even if someone Look, else he, wrote it, it should be I worried. know he did, and he has to be, resp- Don, Don, he put, the, he put this thing out because there was some confusion out there, okay?
0: This now, is there's a more very confusion, John.
1: And what I look, look, I'm going to. I'm trying to say to you, Don. We got to move down the road. Looking back doesn't get things fixed. We're not I'm looking not back. The president's address. The president's minute, address why was why tonight. That is the newest I don't, I information. Think address is, tonight will be the, the
0: president's address. I think it was fine. That's what I think. I love angry John Kasich. It is just, he's so fed up with Don Lemon. He goes, okay, you want me to say it? I'll just say it. Don, I can't believe you're making me. I think President Trump's address was fine. I didn't want to have to come on TV and compliment the president, but I thought it was fine. When you've got John Kasich complimenting President Trump, then you know, really, really, the address was perfectly fine. Uh, what uh, what uh, Don Lemon's talking about there is this, question of whether or not the government is going to pay for treatment of coronavirus or, or they're going to pay for tests of coronavirus, or rather if the government had gotten the insurance companies to pay for that, this is a a fairly minor point. Shows you Trump is damned if he does and damned if he doesn't. When he banned travel from China, they attacked him for overreacting. Then, uh, for a couple of weeks, they banned him or they attacked him for underreacting. Then he bans travel from Europe, they attack him for overreacting and there's nothing the guy can do, uh, whatsoever. And there was a, a funny moment actually when the address ended, uh, CNN accidentally left the cameras rolling. And so you got to see president Trump's reaction at the end of it. I think watching CNN, watching all of the hysteria and the alarmism, I think he summed up what we were all thinking.
2: We're clear. Okay.
0: Okay, we, we will come together. We will come together as Americans. Thank you. God bless America. Okay, what are we doing now? That's exactly how I feel. Uh, we will get to the big takeaway from WooFlu in a second. First, I got to thank our friends over at CarShield. Cars today are like computers on wheels. That's what they are, right? Open up the hood, try to figure that out. From electronically controlled transmissions to touchscreen displays to dozens of sensors. And all this technology, we love it when it works, but it's very expensive to fix when it breaks. CarShield has affordable protection plans that can save you thousands for a covered repair including computers, GPS, electronics, even more. You get to choose your favorite mechanic or dealership to do the work and CarShield takes care of the rest. I love this. Makes me feel much safer in my car and much safer in my wallet, frankly. Uh, They offer complimentary 24/7 roadside assistance and a rental car while yours is being fixed. It is just fabulous. They've helped over 1 million customers. So check it out today with rates as low as $99 a month. You have nothing to lose. Get covered by CarShield. Call 800-CAR-6000 and mention code Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, or visit carshield.com and use code Knowles to save 10%. carshield.com, code Knowles, a deductible may apply. What's the big takeaway? Big takeaway is Woo flu is getting real. The stock market is taking a pounding. They suspended trading again today. I mean, we're, we're now in a bear market. So meaning this market has turned south. Uh, People are very worried. Warren Buffett just came out by the way and said, you know, this is a one, two punch to the market, the coronavirus and the Saudi oil, oil price war that we're in right now. But uh, it's not even close to 2008. So this might just be a temporary blip, maybe an opportunity for investors to take advantage, uh, but, uh, but maybe not. We don't know. You know, obviously the market is, is pretty uncertain. Tom Hanks now has Wuhan virus. That came out last night. Uh, some NBA player who I've never heard of has Wuhan virus. The entire NBA has suspended its season. There's actually now a website called IsItCancelledYet.com to figure out what has been canceled because of Wuhan virus. So far they've got uh, South by Southwest, Pope Francis's public appearances, the Bernie and Biden rallies, who was going to go to those, anybody, like five people. The, a Google conference, Minecraft festival, Coachella, Harvard and Princeton, and lots of other schools canceling classes, telling kids to stay home. They're going to do online teaching. Uh, A conference about coronavirus (laughs) was canceled. That was, they should have seen that one coming. That's, that was at the Council on Foreign Relations. Come on, guys. you set yourselves up for that, I would say. Uh, Also, by the way, as long as we're canceling things, I just want to put my suggestion out there. I think in this time of great pandemic, the only responsible thing to do would be to cancel the presidential election and postpone it until maybe like 2036 or maybe 2040. Uh, That just, that would be responsible. I think we got to put partisanship aside here, folks, take the public health really seriously and postpone the presidential election by about 16 or 20 years. Let's, let's come together America and let's, let's get this done. As far as global pandemics go, worth keeping in mind. I know that it's very unpopular now to tell people to be calm, but this is not the bubonic plague. Uh, This is not SARS in terms of the death rate. It's not Ebola in terms of melting your organs. 32 people have died so far in the United States. It's not good. And the number is going to get higher, so no reason to be complacent. However, compared to the 12,500 people who died in the U.S. from swine flu, so far things are okay. Things are more manageable. Uh, To put, 32 people have died, you know, in two weeks or so, two weeks or a month maybe, from coronavirus. 90 people die each day in the United States from car accidents. One person dies every 37 seconds from heart disease, and the average age of death from Wuhan virus is 80. I am not saying that it's not a pandemic. I'm not saying we shouldn't take precautions. I'm simply saying that people are not dropping like flies, as I think many in the media uh, would have you believe. Glad that the government and people are taking this seriously, uh, but there's a big difference between taking things swiftly and seriously and panicking. There's no reason to panic. Panicking doesn't do anybody any good. And I actually think there's a reason that people panic that has nothing to do with the Wuhan virus, which we'll get to in just a little bit. I've got to turn to some political news. Bernie Sanders, after getting shellacked by Joe Biden on the second Super Tuesday, is staying in the race. Here is Bernie announcing why he's got no intention of going anywhere.
2: What became even more apparent yesterday is that while we are currently losing the delegate count, approximately 800 delegates for Joe Biden and 660 for us, we are strongly winning in two enormously important areas which will determine the future of our country.
0: Typical BS. You hear this from these Bolsheviks every single time. Actually, they're winning. Every time these Bolsheviks, including the original Bolsheviks, every time they would lose, they would say that they won. And this is true all the way up to modern leftist politicians. We may be losing, but we're secretly winning. How are we secretly winning, Bernie? You tell me. He says, they might not be winning in terms of the delegates or the voters or those minor issues, but they're winning the ideological debate.
2: strong majority of the American people support our progressive agenda. While our campaign has won the ideological debate, we are losing the debate over electability.
0: If you are losing the debate over electability, which is to say if you are losing the electoral battle, then you are losing the ideological debate. If a large majority of the American people support Bernie Sanders' agenda, then Bernie Sanders would be winning. But he's not winning. Now what Bernie might say is no it's about the candidates too so they support what i believe but they do not support who i am and uh, my per, uh, me Bernie Sanders 78 years old but they and they do support Joe Biden's personality but they don't support what he believes that is not true how do i know that's not true because just physically Bernie and Biden are the same candidate <laughs> they're two white guys, one is 77 and a half and one is 78. They are all things being equal, right? The only thing that differs is their ideology and Biden is winning and Bernie is losing. They, they insist on it though. The left constantly, people really believe what we're selling. They really, there's just, for some reason, there's one weird trick that explains why we're not actually winning at the polls. Bernie, Bernie has one excuse for it. He says he's winning among the young voters. He's winning the next generation of Americans.
2: Need to win the voters who represent the future of our country. And you must speak to the issues of concern to them. You cannot simply be satisfied by winning the votes of people who are older.
0: But Bernie is not winning the youths and he's not winning the youths because the youths aren't showing up. So they might tweet for you and they might go on different message boards and say they really like you. But if they don't show up to the polls, then you're not winning the youths. The left always does this. They can't lose. They're always winning. And the more left they are, the more certain they are that they are winning. Hillary Clinton, she secretly won 2016. Stacey Abrams, she's secretly the governor of Georgia. Al Gore, that guy secretly won the presidential election. Just for some reason it looked like George Bush won. They insist they won, they insist they won rather, even when they lost. The reason is they can't lose. They can't lose because they are the future, right? They know what the future is. Everything Bernie just said. We are winning the ideological battle. The majority of people support our ideology. We're winning the youths. We're winning the future. You're not, right? You're obviously not, but you are so convinced. You begin with the premise that you are the future and so you can't possibly lose. Anytime you lose, something had to go wrong. This is the problem. There are many problems. This is one of the problems with progressivism, with progress as an ideology. You are the future. it's not even a question. We all know that for certain. The only question is, are people going to rob you of bringing about the future now? Are they going to steal it from you illegitimately? This is why when leftists, particularly hard leftists, lose elections, it's always got to be illegitimate. It could simply not be the case that people have rejected their ideology because their ideology is not merely a political view among many. It is the science of the future and If people are stopping the future from happening, that is wrong. It's immoral. It's unjust and it's illegitimate. That's the philosophical basis for Bernie staying in. The PR basis is this is his last shot and he wants to uh, figure it out. He he wants to just like finally get his ideology over the finish line as long as he's got breath in his lungs. Then there's a practical basis, which is that Joe Biden might not make it. Look, I don't, I mean, I, I, when I say, I'm not saying he's going to croak or something necessarily. I'm just saying he doesn't have physical stamina. He's now asking for the next debate to have chairs so that he doesn't have to stand up the whole time. Okay. He is not a vigorous man. And so right now I think what Bernie's looking at is, gosh, if something takes Joe Biden out of this race and I have many, many more delegates than I do right now, then it will be very hard for the Democrats to steal it from me at the convention. It's a small chance that that actually plays out in the end, but I think that's the practical basis Bernie is thinking about Turning our attention to the news media, you remember the other day when Mara Gay, she's this New York Times editorial board member. She was on the Brian Williams show on MSNBC and they were talking about how Mike Bloomberg had spent $500 million on his campaign and there's 320 million Americans, which means that Mike Bloomberg could have, instead of running his campaign, just simply given each American $1 million. And they talked about this without understanding how zeros work, how orders of magnitude work in mathematics. Here they are. Actually, with the money he spent, he could have given every American a million dollars. I've got it.
2: Let's put it up on the screen. When I read it uh, tonight on social media, it kind of all became clear. Bloomberg spent 500 million on ads, U.S. population 327 million. Uh, Don't tell us if you're ahead of us on the math. He could have given each American one million dollars and have had lunch money left over. It's an incredible way of putting it
0: it's an incredible way of putting it. It's true. It's disturbing. It does, it does suggest, you know, what we're talking about here, which is there, there's too much money in politics. That's it. That's what it suggests, right? Isn't it? Uh, not at all. So some people called her out for this obviously. And now do you think Mara Gay, New York Times editorial board member, or Brian Williams for that matter, but Mara Gay is the one who, who has been complaining about this. Do you think she apologized, corrected her mistake, said, gosh, you know, I should think before I speak. I should figure out basic mathematical concepts, I, or arithmetical concepts. I should have a little humility, whoops, whoopsie, my bad, I'll get you next time. Oh no, she's complaining and she's crying racism. She's saying, look, I got mean messages on email and on Twitter after I made that comment. Look, it, it was racism and frankly. I just made a trivial math error. That's her direct quote, trivial math error. So I guess that would be her second math error because getting your figures off by six orders of magnitude is not a trivial math error, <laughs> right? It's like, I, it is a common math error among leftists, <laughs> which is, yeah, a million, a billion, what, a trillion. It's all, it's all the same. It ends in a right? We'll spend all the money. Uh, however, it's a pretty significant uh, error. Also, It doesn't look good when you're a public figure who complains about people being mean to you. Mara Gay, I have no doubt that she got racist messages. She probably did. I don't know that she got racist messages because people hate black people. I think she got racist messages because people don't like her. And people don't like her because she talks politics on TV. And everybody who talks politics on TV gets vile, vile messages. A lot of them, all the time. And what they do is they attack you for various things. Look, it happens to everybody. They'll attack you for the way you look. They'll attack you for the way you talk. They'll attack you for the way your family and friends look. They'll attack for all these things, right? However, I think 99 times out of 100, that's not expressing some deep-seated hatred for some category that you might fall into. They just don't like you. That's how people are mean right? That's how, that's how people bully you. That's what the internet is. All right. I'm, I'm not saying I enjoy that. I don't like getting mean messages, but if you are going to put yourself out on national television and talk about contentious issues, you are going to have to take some heat. You're going to have to get some mean, vile, vicious, unforgivable, unsupportable, indefensible messages that goes with the territory. And you can either complain about that and play the victim or you can say, hey, look, I've got a pretty prominent position. I'm on the New York Times editorial board. I made an egregious and hilarious mistake. Whoops, my bad. Maybe I'll sit, sit out the next few rounds and uh, think, think a little bit more next time. Certainly, gay cannot do that. The left, in general, can't do that. Uh, before we get into the mailbag, AOC has uh, some comments on racism. She wants you to know that if you are so afraid of the Wuhan virus that you don't eat lo mein, that you're a racist.
2: Honestly, it sounds almost so silly to say, but there's a lot of restaurants that are feeling the pain of racism, uh, where people are literally not patroning Chinese restaurants. Um, They're not patroning Asian restaurants because of just straight up racism around the coronavirus.
0: They're not patroning them. All right. And you better not patron me. And we certainly, we shouldn't patron each other. I think the word AOC was looking for was patronize. uh, But We'll just let that go you know, in the spirit of charity and national unity, we'll let that one slide. We will focus on the point that she's making. If you don't want to eat chicken, Kung Pao chicken during Wuhan virus time, that you're somehow a racist. It's not racist to point out where a disease comes from. It's not racist to point out where the epicenter of a global pandemic is. Okay. It wasn't racist to call the Spanish flu, the Spanish flu. Though probably uh, all of the woke people like AOC, they want to rename that like Latinx flu. I don't even know how to pronounce that word, where they go Latinx instead of Latino. Latinx. It's the Latinx flu. All right. It's not racist to point out that the Ebola virus comes from the Ebola river. It's not racist to, to refer to West Nile virus, right? It's not all of these different uh, things. Actually, there's some evidence that it's just a, a part of communist propaganda in China to convince gullible idiot Westerners that it's racist to point out that the virus came from China. We're, we're getting some evidence that it's actually a conscious effort by the communications apparatus of the Chinese government to convince people of this. And of course, the gullible self-hating leftists in America just eaten that uh, whole hog. Why are you so afraid of coronavirus? That's the point I wanna leave on today before we get to the mailbag. Why are you so afraid of it? I suspect it has something to do with death. (laughs) You're afraid of dying, right? Nobody wants to die. However, at different periods of time, the fear of death has ebbed and flowed. You know, people have been much more intensely afraid of death or much less afraid of death. I think that the fear of death in our culture has gotten a lot worse. I think the evidence of this is all around us. Levels of stress are going through the roof. Anxiety is going through the roof. Uh, depression drugs going through the roof. This is especially true among young people who are experiencing stress and anxiety at a much higher rate. Uh, You see it even with kids now. There was a BBC survey that showed that, that children are having disturbed sleep, are getting eating disorders now because they're so afraid of death from climate change. Why are people so afraid of death? I have to imagine it has something to do with the precipitous decline in religiosity, particularly among young people. I mean, the the groups that are experiencing the greatest religious decline growing up without any kind of religious worldview are the ones who are most stressed and most anxious. An important takeaway from coronavirus, you are going to die. I can guarantee you that with 100% certainty. You are going to die to die. Coincidentally, the coronavirus scare that really took, took hold during the same time as Lent. You know, at the beginning of Lent is when Christians uh, get ashes on their forehead and you, you hear, remember man, you are dust and to dust you shall return. Statistically, you're not going to die from the Wuhan virus. Also statistically, you are going to die. Uh, Probably better when you think of that, Instead of just running out to the store and buying up all the toilet paper and canned tomatoes that you possibly can, it's uh, probably a better use of your time to think ahead to that certainty that will come. All right, let's get into the mailbag. But first, I got to thank our friends over at Honey, because if you are going to go out to the store and buy up every single thing, uh, maybe best during these times to do it online. Okay, maybe best not to go outside and, uh, you know, just public health caution. Honey can save you a lot of money when you shop online. It's the free online shopping tool that automatically finds the best promo codes, applies them to your cart. You know how great it feels to save, right? You know how you, you just think, oh, that's free money. I could have worked a little longer or I could have gotten that sweet, sweet free money. I've been using Honey since before the uh, Daily Wire even existed. You know, uh, it, 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 it just feels great. So it supports over 30,000 stores online. That includes Macy's, includes Target, Sephora, Best Buy, and more. They're adding more every day. Honey has found it's over 18 million members, over $2 billion in savings. I don't. I wonder how much of that I got personally because I use it all the time. Using Honey feels great. Think of it as a little daily victory. Plus, it's free to use and installs in just a few seconds. Get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. That's joinhoney.com slash Knowles. And right now, we are offering 25% off all Daily Wire membership plans when you use the coupon code NEVERSOCIALIST. Just like Joe Biden wanting to take away your AR-14, we have got to take away this deal. So you're going to want to act fast because it goes away Friday at midnight Pacific time at exactly the same time when you can no longer enter the United States from Europe. You also can't save 25% off your Daily Wire membership using the coupon code NEVERSOCIALIST. Head on over to dailywire.com slash subscribe. We'll be right back with the mailbag. First question from Dave, Michael, if Eric Swalwell gets the coronavirus, does that mean we all have the coronavirus? It does. Uh, This is through the Swalwell transitive property uh, whereby Eric Swalwell is us. We are Eric Swalwell. And so if he goes, we all go. From Katie, hi, Michael. What would happen if Biden won the nomination? but his mental decline made him an impossibility come November. Would Bernie claim it? Would Hillary swoop in? Would Michelle Obama reconsider? Would chaos ensue? I guess it doesn't matter since we'll all be dead from the Wuhan flu. Great question. It depends when Biden gets out. So I think there's a chance right now that, and that's what Bernie's banking on, that Biden just collapses. If Bernie really forces debates, forces campaigning, that that Biden just collapses before the the, uh, nomination. Let's assume he gets the nomination and let's assume worst case, absolutely unthinkable scenario that something happens to the guy, the mental decline continues or, you know, look, we are in the midst of a global pandemic that affects specifically people in Joe Biden's age group. So, you know, it's an ugly thing to think about, but one does have to consider these possibilities. Uh, then it would be up to the democratic party. We, we really don't know that would be unprecedented territory in, in our political era. And so, I think Hillary would certainly want to sweep in. I think that uh, Nancy Pelosi has left open this door. I think Maxine Waters has left open this door that there would have to, not for themselves, but that there would be another candidate coming in. No one has really fully settled on Joe Biden yet. I know it's, he's running away with the delegate count, so it's probably his, but listening to the way that the party elites talk, they're not so happy with him. So frankly, even if he doesn't have a health problem, I wouldn't be surprised if the Democrats tried to pull some shenanigans. Anyway, from Christina, dear Mr. Knowles, I love your show. Thank you. I'm having quite a rough time. Recently, I discovered my boyfriend, now ex, cheated on me. We are both conservative Christians, and quite frankly, I do not know how he claims to be such and then be unfaithful. But that's besides the point. This said said ex-boyfriend of almost five years had put many thoughts in my head, seeds of insecurities that I'm not good enough in any sense. I'm trying to put my trust in God to help guide me on my journey of healing. Do you have any advice? Thanks. Yes, I do. I have a lot of advice, actually. I see a little bit of a problem in your question, which is you say you you don't understand how your ex-boyfriend could claim to be a Christian and yet commit this sin. But isn't it one of the keen insights of Christianity that we all sin. All of us fall short of the glory of God and none of us is righteous in ourselves. And, and so it just seems to me, of course, people sin. Doesn't excuse what your boyfriend did. Doesn't mean you should get back with him. He sounds like a real schmuck. But I'm just saying the idea that somebody would sin, even something as serious as cheating on your girlfriend or something. Yeah, of course. The, the man's heart is evil from the very beginning, as we learn from the story of Noah, right? I mean, we, this is something we see throughout throughout the Bible and that Christianity affirms at, at all times. The reason that your boyfriend seems like a terrible boyfriend beyond cheating on you, probably even more, more egregiously than cheating on you. It depends the nature of that. If he was like going out every single night and, you know, had, had this double life, that's even worse. But the real problem is you say he planted these seeds of insecurity and he was kind of mean to you. And I mean, that's, that's the real problem. That, that can't just be explained away as uh Andrew Clavin says that every man is two drinks and a wink away from burning down his life. You can't explain being a rotten guy who's cruel to his girlfriend uh, away with two drinks and a wink. So what I would do is uh, get rid of him. He he sounds like a terrible boyfriend, so he's done. That's over. Doesn't sound remorseful. Doesn't sound like a good guy anyway. Maybe it was a blessing in disguise that you found out he was cheating on you so you could get rid of him. And, uh, And move on. Ovid, the ancient writer, not Christian... Uh, He wrote a very famous work called The Cure for Love. I don't necessarily recommend you take all of the advice, but a lot of it, if I could sort of sanitize Ovid, it was get rid of all your boyfriend's photos, delete all his photos, get him out of your phone, don't think about him, start seeing other people. (laughs) Ovid had a little more lurid advice than that, but you know, go on some dates, put yourself out there and forget it. Make a clean break and move on with your life and you'll probably have a better life that way. From Mike, hi Michael, I'm in a sales job, which requires that I speak to customers for most of the day as most sales jobs do, but I find that I stumble over my words and overall have poor verbal fluency. As an actor and someone who spends a lot of time speaking, do you have any advice for speaking more clearly and less like Joe Biden? Thanks for all that you do, big fan. Yes, I do. First, slow down. People get nervous, especially if you're working a sales job, and so they want to start speaking more quickly. But when you speak more quickly, first of all, that's very off-putting and it gets you more nervous as well because you feel you're kind of losing the audience. That's the first thing I would do, slow down. People prefer it when you slow down. When you say things slowly, they seem more emphatic and they seem more persuasive. The next thing to do is get rid of ums and uhs and likes. Get them out of your vocabulary. It is going to be very difficult. You are going to still get a few in there. I get some in there every single day. And I've been working on this for a decade. But get them out. Um, uh, like, you know, it is like nails on a chalkboard to people. And some people do it constantly. I mean, I've heard people start speaking and they'll say, uh, um. So look, the thing that I believe is, uh, that uh, we need to answer the question directly, uh. And then it's a tick for them. They cannot stand silence. But if you are a public speaker, silence is very helpful tool. It allows you to give weight to what you've just said. It allows you to give people space to think about what you've just said, and it doesn't make you seem quite so nervous. That would be my advice at first. Then I would memorize poetry. I would maybe take an acting class. I would do things that will just get get that muscle moving. One of the tricks that actors have, you know, they memorize things very quickly and very well people wonder how this is. The key to it is just muscle memory. When you're memorizing, most people think you just read it in your head and then you remember it. No, you get it into your mouth. And so your mouth, your muscles will remember how to, to say what you're saying. They'll, they'll practice it just like any other skill. You will need some practice. From Corey, how and when did you meet Ben Shapiro? Ben was actually one of the first guys I met in LA. I had just moved out here years ago. What now, maybe six years ago or something like that, a little more. And one of the first dinners I had was at Drew's house, at Andrew Clavin's house. And it was me, Drew, Ben, another friend of ours, and our wives, and at the time, my girlfriend. And it was the first time I met him. The only place I knew him from was that viral clip on Piers Morgan's show. I thought, oh, you're Ben Shapiro. I know that guy. And, uh, And it was love at first sight. I think mostly on Ben's part toward me. It was just he fell in love. He went gaga afterward. And here we are now. From William, my question is regarding your comments on the rally in front of the Supreme Court, where Rashida Tlaib was yelling into the microphone. She mentioned not having sex, and I think she makes an excellent point. Sex creates babies, and the best way to avoid not being ready for a child is to wait until marriage. If the left wants to empower women, why then do they not talk more about women refusing sex and pushing for marriage prior to intercourse? Thank you kindly. God bless. Because. The left doesn't really care about women. They don't really care about any of us, any of the groups they pretend to care about. However, in their defense, I'll give the philosophical basis for it, which you see a little bit on the right as well. The philosophical basis for leftism is a hyper-individualism. I know that seems crazy because leftism taken to its logical conclusion brings a kind of collectivism about where the individual doesn't matter very much, but it begins with this hyper-individualism. I get to do whatever I want at all times. I, the individual and in the basic unit of society. In uh, Planned Parenthood v. Casey, Justice Kennedy decided that people have a, a right, a constitutional a human right to define reality for themselves. I mean, that's the kind of radical individualism. And so that expresses itself in sex because sex is one of our most basic and fundamental desires and lusts. And so any sexual choice, any sexual preference, any sexual desire, any sexual act needs to be available to people. And then there'll be consequences of that. And through a, a radical individualism, which we would also call selfishness, you can even convince a mother to kill her own child. From Dillian, dear Michael, when it comes to abortion, We know that the majority of all abortions are based on inconveniences and a very, very small number are based on rape and or the health of the mother, baby are at risk. My question to you, would you accept a new law to allow abortions for rape and or the health of the mother and baby being at risk while banning all the rest nationwide? Thanks. Yeah, sure. If I could get rid of 99% of abortions, I would do it, but it wouldn't really work that way because as has happened elsewhere, the rule about the health of the mother uh, would be would be expanded to mean if the mother feels inconvenienced and gets a migraine because she doesn't want to have a kid, then you're allowed to kill the baby. There are virtually no health conditions where the cure is abortion. Even ectopic pregnancy, there is, you can treat the ectopic pregnancy without having the explicit intention of killing the baby. Uh, This would be the, the rule of double effect and we can get into that at a later episode. So always these things are going to be abused and they're going to uh, just expand abortion through the back door. I would much rather be honest about the issue of abortion. That's the debate we're having right now. But if you put a bill on my desk and said, you can right now today get rid of 99% of abortions. Yeah, of course I would do it. Last question from Charles to the great Michael Knowles. What insight do you have from Super Tuesday results from states like Texas where more voters showed up to vote for Trump in the primary than showed up for the entire Democratic Party? Thanks and have a blessed day. This is the untalked about fact of this primary season, the turnout to the primaries to renominate the incumbent Republican president is through the roof. It blows historical precedent out of the water. Uh, Great news for Republicans. Of course, the media aren't going to report on that, but it shows you that Bernie's turnout lower than expected, youth turnout lower than expected. Joe Biden has done significantly better than Bernie Sanders. So we do have to worry about that a little bit, but there is a silent plurality at least. I think it's a silent majority of Americans who support president Trump. Now, if the election were held two weeks ago, I think Trump would have won 58 States plus Greenland plus American Samoa. But Now we've got this coronavirus problem. We've got the Dow dropping thousands of points. We've got a bear market. I mean, it's a whole new ball game here. And so uh, the bigger threat I think is not from any of the Democrats. I think the bigger threat is from that damned little virus that came out of Wuhan. All right, that's our show. I'm Michael Knowles. This is The Michael Knowles Show. See you on Monday. If you enjoyed this episode and frankly, even if you didn't, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Assistant director, Pavel Widowski. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, Nika Geneva. Production assistant, Ryan Love. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. You know, The Matt Wall Show, it's not just another show about, about politics. I think there are enough of those already out there. We talk about culture because culture drives politics and it drives everything else. So my main focuses are life, family, faith. Those are fundamental and that's what this show is about. I hope you'll give it a listen.